Hello. Howdy. Welcome to Picket Podcast. Today's episode is a fun and cute one for all of our listeners. I, I wouldn't say that. We will be discussing penguins and look at those cute little fellas. <laughs> uh, Jake. God, I just love those cute little guys. Look at their useless little wings. Oh, and those little feet. They're so cute. Okay. Okay, Jake. What? I've got the maps and stuff all ready for this episode, and it's going to be great. Oh. <laughs> Stay tuned. In today's episode, we'll be discussing the Middle East and America's foreign policy regarding it. Wait, what? Well, now that Jake has had time to adjust, the episode's not on penguins, but we will be beginning with a fan favorite segment. The segment which somehow still exists, Weather in America. There's a reason it still exists. It's everyone's favorite because it's amazing. And we have we have an amazing location today, and that's Skagway, Alaska, a recommendation from Jake. With a population of about 1,200, this lovely town is well known for its Gold Rush era architecture. The bay is famous for being a stop of many on the way to the Klondike Gold Rush, where miners coming to seek fortune... Uh, would prepare to travel the 500 miles to the Klondike Goldfields. Well, I'd, I'd travel 500 miles for Klondike Bar. Uh, for those of you in and around the majestic site, look forward to uh, partly cloudy weather with highs in the mid-50s and lows in the upper 30s. You might see some scattered showers as we near the weekend, but that should clear up quickly. Anyways, the Middle East. Yeah, that, that switched quickly. Yep, and for this... We'll have to introduce a new format where we venture abroad to discuss America on the global stage. Is this? Yes, it is. Pick it abroad. Seems like it's going to be fun. You know, I think it's important that I specify we didn't actually physically go anywhere for the segment. That's strictly prohibited by the country's present conditions, uh, at least at the time of recording. However, our subject does concern uh, foreign affairs. Thanks. I'm sure that was already clear, but should be interesting. Middle East, a hot topic for quite a long time, especially for America in the 21st century. It really dates back to the tensions that Europeans created with dividing up the region and the many groups who inhabit it, something of which the English were quite fond. But we're not going to touch on that for the time being. Instead, specifically, America's involvement in the Middle East, which, I mean, dates back to the Cold War and our motivation for the sweet, sweet oil that we love as Americans, also thwarting Russia, something we also love as Americans. But what we want to talk about is 21st century foreign policy toward the Middle East. It's a complicated situation with many, many players. Presidents over the last decade have really struggled to create a definite and enduring course for American involvement. Political division has defined the nation's politics for a while. And I think our attitude toward the Middle East is an expression of that dynamic. Um, what exactly is our country's stance, and, and how are we going to act as power continues to shift domestically, and how is this going to manifest itself long term? Yeah, as much as we've done our research and we know about these things, uh, few are more equipped to handle and answer these broad questions than our guest for this week's episode. A while back, we had the tremendous honor of speaking with a, a prominent figure in American politics since the 70s, and a genuinely fascinating and kind individual. Yeah, we'll let him introduce himself. Everyone, Secretary Leon Panetta. 
guess it's over 50 years of uh, public life, uh, had the opportunity to serve in uh, a number of different roles. Uh, uh, and uh, I think it, I, I always say it began with uh, my service in, in the United States Army uh, and, uh, in the 1990s uh, as a, an intelligence officer. Uh, and then I went from there, uh, worked as a uh, legislative assistant to a U.S. Senator from California, uh, who was the uh, minority whip in the Senate, uh, worked on civil rights legislation, worked on uh, a number of other uh, areas uh, on behalf of the Senator. Then I became uh, uh, director of the office, uh, the United States Office for Civil Rights, uh, implementing civil rights enforcement, particularly in those days, uh, uh, and dealing with the dual school system in the South. Uh, came back to, or actually uh, left that job and went to uh, New York City where I worked as a, as an aide to uh, Mayor John Lindsay, who was the mayor of New York City, uh, as his assistant on intergovernmental relations. Uh, and then from there back to California, ran for Congress, uh, was elected uh, in 1976, uh, and served for uh, 16 years in the Congress, uh, uh, particularly as uh, chairman of the uh, Budget Committee at that time, uh, but along with another other uh, areas as well. Uh, then from there became uh, the director of the Office of Management and Budget in the new Clinton administration. Uh, was uh, moved to, to the job of chief of staff to the president. Uh, I think it was within a couple of years or a year and a half uh, became chief of staff to the president. Uh, served uh, the president uh, through the end of his first term, uh, came back to California, started the Panetta Institute for Public Policy with my wife uh, here in California, servicing all, all the CSU campuses uh, here in California. Uh, then was asked by President Obama uh, soon after he was elected to uh, go back to uh, public life as director of the uh, CIA. Uh, and uh, then from there, uh, was asked to become Secretary of Defense. Uh, so that uh, that is uh, almost a 50-year uh, career in public life. It appears to be the case, and the Secretary's been quite vocal about this in the past, that the country seriously lacks any concrete, sustained action plan for intervention in the Middle East. Uh, I think uh, generally uh, it actually it's developed uh, even before the Obama administration. Uh, I, I think uh, having worked in the Clinton administration, uh, that was probably, at least in the first term, uh, the first effort at trying, for, uh, first effort at developing uh, a, uh, an, a comprehensive approach to uh, to foreign policy. What are our goals? What are our interests? What, you know, where, what, uh, what are the important areas that we want to protect in, in terms of our uh, national security? Uh, and uh, since that time, uh, administrations kind of, uh, rather than developing that kind of comprehensive approach to foreign policy, kind of reacted to uh, the crises that occurred. I mean, 9-11 being the best example of that, the Bush administration uh, obviously had to react uh, to an attack on our country. Uh, that defined uh, United States policy for a long period of time as we fought uh, the war on terrorism. Um, and I think uh, the Obama administration, to some extent, kind of continued uh, that uh, same effort, particularly in dealing with uh, terrorism, 
uh, in the wars in, in Iraq and Afghanistan, uh, as well as dealing with crises in the Middle East and, and elsewhere. Uh, and uh, there, uh, you know, there, there just was not a uh, a sense that uh, we really had to define uh, in global terms, uh, you know, what are the national security interests of the United States? Uh, what is our policy in dealing with those interests? How do we approach the different challenges in the world? Uh, and rather than, I, I think they, there was a feeling that uh, when you when you lay out that kind of policy, it, it's too confining and uh, doesn't allow you to. Uh, be flexible in dealing with the challenges you have to uh, deal with, uh, and I think you know that's uh, that's kind of been the approach uh, uh, through a number of administrations, and I, I think we pay a price for that. One thing that really caught my attention there was that he said, yeah, the U.S. responds to things on a crisis basis, and that allows for a certain measure of flexibility, which seems like a beneficial thing. But like we talked about before we started playing clips from the interview, was that it has created a sense of disorientation that we don't really know what direction we're, we're heading in. What do you think? Yeah, for sure. I think that, uh, I mean, it's important to be flexible because things change, especially in a region that has had a lot of change over the past few years. And But I think that we should still have one main goal in mind and then keep it going but do not so sudden like flexes or it can start shifting and it can really create confusion among everyone. So I think a plan like that is something that would be a good idea. So we wanted him to go more into detail regarding exactly what direction ideally the United States should head. I think it's important to define, uh, you know, what are, what are our primary interests uh, in the world? Uh, you know, we're, we're a country that is defined by our values, uh, a country that uh, it, you know is defined by our freedom, uh, our democracy. Uh, we have advocated uh, human for human rights. We've advocated uh, for uh, the values of uh, people having the right to uh, govern themselves, uh, to be able to be free. Uh, to, to be able to uh, uh, express themselves uh, through freedom, uh, freedom of uh, speech, freedom of the press. Uh, those, are, those are the values uh, that represent uh, the United States and who we are. Uh, so how do we take those values uh, and basically provide the leadership in the world, working with our allies, working with those uh, who support a lot of the values I just discussed, uh, in making sure that we are uh, advancing uh, the interests of a global world. Uh, how do we deal with uh, adversaries like Russia and China uh, and Iran and North Korea? How do we deal with terrorism? Uh, what, uh, what are our goals in terms of, uh, you know, uh, acting to uh, alleviate poverty, to deal with climate change, to deal with all of the other threats? Uh, that exist out there. I think, I think there, that probably foremost, uh, particularly with this administration uh, and, and their lack of uh, really believing that the United States has a leadership role in the world, I happen to believe that uh, since World War II, uh, we have been a leader in the world. 
uh, and that we have a responsibility to exercise world leadership doesn't mean that uh, you know we dominate the world. Doesn't mean that we don't work with others. I think uh, we have a responsibility to uh, to be able to develop strong alliances so that we can preserve peace and and try to advocate for values that are important to the United States of America and very frankly important to human beings throughout the world. These are the concepts he promoted as Secretary of Defense under President Obama. But after his departure from the administration, those which he he also worked to fit into the platform of his once fellow cabinet member, Secretary Clinton, during your 2016 campaign. One of the things that, uh, that I felt was important because uh, the Middle East was clearly... Um, an area that uh, we felt was important to our national security uh, and uh, yet represented a number of threats, whether it was terrorism, whether it was Iran, uh, whether it was the uh, failed states that had occurred uh, since the uh, uh, the Arab uh, uprisings that had occurred, Arab, so-called Arab Spring. Um, and one of the things that uh, we Secretary Clinton and myself uh, believed is that if we could develop uh, a strong alliance uh, in the Middle East of modern Arab countries, uh, Israel, uh, as well as uh, other key countries, uh, develop a strong alliance that could work together, uh, similar to uh, how we approached NATO following World War II, that if we could develop that kind of alliance, uh, we would be able, uh, number one, to uh, have a unified approach uh, in dealing with the threat of terrorism, uh, which was very prevalent throughout the Middle East. Uh, we would have a, a more comprehensive approach to dealing with uh, failed states and trying to uh, promote stability uh, with regards to failed states like Libya, uh, Yemen, and others. Uh, Syria, uh, and that uh, we would be able to develop a comprehensive approach with regards to security uh, in that region as well. Uh, we obviously provide, we've provided uh, support to many countries in that area, but we have never really unified from a security point of view so that we could work together. So I think our goal was frankly uh, to develop a strong uh, alliance uh, with the, the countries in the Middle East so that we could work together on the numerous challenges that the Middle East is all about. I mean, it certainly is an idealistic concept, but we're not in an ideal world here. I just see too much tension between a lot of these nations. I mean, like you said, Israel uh, and other Arab nations, they have a lot of tensions. And I just don't see this really being plausible in the current situation. If things were to change, I'm not... I'm not sure if they would, um, maybe, but certainly, certainly the purpose is there. The concepts that were being supported by the Hillary Clinton campaign have essentially been rejected with the election of the present administration, and in that progression, we've seen an uh, an amplification of tension in the Middle East to an extent. And it's difficult to remember that 
just at the end of the last year, we were dealing with a monumental dynamic and dilemma in Syria. The Trump administration began pushing for a swift withdrawal of U.S. troops, leaving Kurdish fighters in a dire situation and falling terribly short of Secretary Panetta's ambitions for the region long term that, that he just laid out. Well, I, you know, I'm not sure uh, what the hell the foreign policy of this administration is, to be truthful. I mean, it's bounced between, uh, you know, a president who's advocated America first, uh, advocated withdrawing uh, from the world in terms of our leadership role. Um, you know, it has, uh, has, in terms of approaching crises, uh, uh, there is no kind of coordinated policy when we're facing crisis. Um, you know, we, we, we had situations where it appeared that, uh, you know, he had drawn lines and then he decided not to, uh, not to enforce those lines uh, in Syria. Uh, he has, uh, you know, when there, when we were dealing with the problem of, uh, uh, of Syria, uh, and the Kurds who had fought for us in trying to uh, defeat uh, ISIS uh, in that area. Uh, he suddenly decided for, I have no idea what the reason was, other than a conversation with uh, Erdogan in Turkey, that he would uh, pull back our forces uh, in Syria and created a tremendous vacuum of abandon our allies, uh, the Kurds, and basically surrendered uh, Syria to um, both uh, Iran, uh, you know, a country that uh, he had expressed tremendous concerns about, uh, and yet surrendered Syria to Iran and to Russia. Uh, and uh, and so that that kind of approach to uh, uh, to, to leadership in in the Middle East, and for that matter in the world, sends very mixed signals about whether or not the United States is a reliable partner, whether you can rely on the United States uh, to support the values that I talked about, whether you can rely on the United States to support alliances. I mean, this president has continued to question uh, the relationship with NATO, uh, and that too raises questions about whether or not uh, the United States uh, can, is, is a true friend. Uh, when it comes to uh, providing support uh, to to our allies, uh, that kind those kinds of mixed messages have, I think, undermined the position of the United States uh, in the 21st century. What he's saying there is is pretty troubling. He's he's essentially saying that no one can really tell how the United States is going to act, and our our uh, co- conduct has has been sporadic to say the least. And it's it's having disastrous consequences in places where it really really matters right now. Yeah, for sure. I think many, including the secretary, have commented. There's a tremendous sense of confusion regarding exactly how our country and government may act in times of such great importance. Another event which now seems so distant, looking back to the through the cloud of the coronavirus pandemic, is the almost war between America and Iran after the assassination of Soleimani, the uh, Iranian general, back in January. That's a, that's another example of, uh, you know, a, a situation where we clearly came to the brink of war uh, with Iran. We probably came as close as uh, we have, uh, you know, since the fall of the Shah uh, to war in, in, 
in Iran. Uh, we had uh, we had a situation where you know our embassy in, in Iraq had been under siege. Uh, we had a situation where uh, the missile attacks had occurred uh, at our bases. Uh, and in the middle of this, uh, we suddenly uh, took action uh, against uh, you know one of the military leaders. Uh, Head of the Quds Force, uh, Soleimani, uh, and uh, and killed him. Uh, and you you knew that uh, that would be uh, something that would antagonize uh, Iran uh, and force them to retaliate. Uh, and uh, when they retaliated uh, and sent missiles uh, at our bases, uh, even though initially we thought there were no injuries, we ultimately then found out that uh, a lot of our, our troops had suffered uh, concussions of one kind or another. I mean, had we known that dead, then, I think uh, we would have taken action uh, to retaliate against Iran. Uh, we decided not to. Uh, and uh, again, you know, I guess we averted, obviously, uh, the potential of another war, uh, which is a good thing. But at the same time, it only created greater confusion about just exactly what the United States' position is all about. So he said that we essentially placed ourselves on the brink of war in a really tense and difficult situation to de-escalate uh, with the Iranian government. And previous administrations had considered the, the assassination of Soleimani but then decided to act on it because of the potentially disastrous ramifications that it could yield. And it's been five months since that all unfolded, and things have, have relatively calmed down. We were curious what he thought of, uh, about how things have progressed since then. Uh, I, <laughs> I worry a great deal about the uh, United States uh, having to confront a series of dangerous flashpoints in a very dangerous world. I think... I don't think we've seen this many flashpoints uh, since the end of World War II, uh, and uh, you know you can just you can tick them off. Uh, it's uh, it's continuing terrorism in the Middle East, and ISIS, uh, I'm sure, continuing to be resilient uh, in in their efforts to uh, conduct uh, an attack on us and others. Uh, it's the problem with failed states in the Middle East, and what's happening with Syria and the impact uh, that that's having in terms of the uh, security uh, in the entire region. Uh, it is the uh, problem with Iran uh, having walked away from the nuclear agreement. Iran uh, is now enriching fuel, uh, and I would not be surprised if they had done uh, some, begun to do some preliminary work uh, again on a nuclear weapon. Um, so that's a, that's a very dangerous threat there. We have the dangerous uh, situation in North Korea uh, with uh, an unpredictable leader there uh, who just disappeared for a period of time. Uh, this is a nuclear. This is a country that is, has nuclear weapons, has missiles uh, that could uh, very well attack uh, countries in the region, if not the United States. Uh, we're dealing with uh, with a Russia in a, almost a second chapter of the Cold War. Uh, we're dealing with a Putin uh, who, uh, you know, continues to be very, very aggressive. Uh, he's bogged down now because of the economy, because of oil, and because of the coronavirus. 
but the reality is he's been very aggressive against the United States. Uh, he was aggressive in going into Ukraine. He was aggressive in going into uh, Syria. Uh, and he was aggressive in uh, trying to attack our election system uh, using cyber. Uh, and continues to do that. And, and we obviously have a continuing problem with China that's growing worse as a result of the coronavirus. But, you know, they've been uh, moving into the South China Sea. They've been very aggressive uh, in their approach to policy, uh, trying to fill the vacuum that the United States is leaving in its wake. Um, and we also have a tremendous challenge now with cyber security. I think, uh, I think cyber is probably the battlefield of the future, uh, and the potential is that you can use cyber, frankly, to paralyze the country uh, by taking down our electric grid system, taking down our transportation systems, taking down our chemical systems, our government systems. That potential is real. So you can look at a world uh, that uh, really presents a number of dangerous flashpoints, uh, and uh, I think we are now obviously wrapped up in trying to deal with the coronavirus. And uh, I think, frankly, uh, the, the attention to the coronavirus is diverting our attention from some of these security threats that I talked about. Uh, and it's also, I think, I worry, has impacted on United States readiness. Uh, we saw what happened with the, uh, uh, with the Roosevelt and the carrier. Uh, we've seen uh, how uh, coronavirus is impacting in terms of our force structure generally. So uh, I worry that we have weakened our position and that our adversaries are going to continue to try to take advantage of that weakness. Secretary Panetta has long been a figure in politics and in just uh, U.S. government in general. I mean, he's been ingrained in it since the, what, the 70s? And, I mean, he's truly left what we see as a long legacy, but we want to know what he sees for his legacy and how that will be cemented. Well, I, I you know, I, I, I believe very strongly in, uh, in United States leadership in the world. Uh, and uh, my, my work both uh, in Congress uh, as well as... Uh, in the administrative positions that I held uh, was to continue American leadership uh, in dealing with uh, uh, with our adversaries. Uh, the the role of of a president as commander in chief, and therefore the role of those that serve the president. Uh, the first responsibility is to protect our country and to keep it safe. Uh, I think that's that that is an extremely important responsibility uh, that the President of the United States has and those who serve the President have. Uh, and in the roles that I had uh, in the administration, uh, I felt that I was able, particularly as CIA director, uh, in going after terrorism, going after Bin Laden, and as Secretary of Defense, being able to uh, continue to uh, to go after uh, those uh, adversaries who were threatening the United States. Uh, I felt that I was part of a United States that uh, 
was providing world leadership uh, and implementing that very important responsibility of keeping our country safe. Well, that about wraps it up for our conversation with former Secretary of Defense Leon Panetta. It was an honor to speak with him, and hopefully we'll have him back on the show someday. Now, just a notice, we'll be dormant for a bit while we take a brief hiatus to get a decent chunk of episodes prepared for you. And we know you're going to miss this timeless duo endlessly, but we won't be gone for too long. Um, We just want to make sure that we have at least a a season or a portion of a season uh, set up so that we make sure that we're, we're churning out quality content at a consistent pace. For sure, for sure. Yeah, they'll miss the, the classic combo of the cool-headed, smart, capable Californian surfer dude who who's just the best in general. Why, thank you so much. Yeah, yeah and you too, Jake. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, I, I get it. Um, anyways, if you want to contact us with stories, questions about sources, and or business or media contacts, email at us at picketpodcast at gmail.com. We hope to see you soon on the picket fence with us.